I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Anna. And this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. Hello. Welcome back to Seriously After an Extended Christmas Break. Yeah, it's really nice to be back in our tiny podcasting room talking to you again. Yeah, we've been off for two weeks. Yeah, although you have still had our voices each week that we've been away, so, you know, thank us later, it's fine. (laughs) Yeah, so we had the Love Actually special that lots of you seem to have really liked, which is good because we really love doing it. And if you're amenable, I think some of our supporting cast from that have got ideas of other specials they would like to be on. Yeah, indeed. Constantly. Constantly. (laughs) Um, um, Stephen and Barbara in particular are currently working on what they call the Rossier, which is their dossier about Ross from Friends. <laughs> it's really good, actually, if you haven't read Stephen's tweets on like what would happen after Friends finished between Ross and Rachel, i.e. he murders her. <laughs> you should be. Yeah, so that perhaps coming soon, maybe, if, if we can, you know, bear to. We had a tweet from Alistair Ball. Cheers, Alistair. He said, finished listening to my last Christmas podcast. Good work, everyone. <laughs> Just like, thanks for the encouragement. My favourite was the Seriously Pod detailed excavation of Love Actually. So I'm pleased that it made it into some people's fave Christmas scheduled podcasts. Some people seem to like our Christmassy TV and film episode. We had a tweet from Fee Kennedy who said that she barely laughed on her own in the checkout queue in the supermarket listening to the Gavin and Stacey ones. Oh, that's so, good. I, I watched quite a lot of Gavin and Stacey again this period. and uh, I I feel completely vindicated in our opinions about it. It I also watched it with my mum and my sister, the Christmas one, so that was Mm. excellent. So do you feel well-rested, Caroline? Um, maybe. I don't know. It's quite early in the morning. It's too early to know how I feel. It's quite disorienting, isn't it? I was like Mm. getting on the tube. Actually, I got got off the tube this morning, and although I was feeling quite like, oh God, here we go, I like looked out onto the river from Blackfriars Station, Mm. and it looked so pretty, and I was like, oh, do you know what? It's quite nice living and working in London. I'm actually not like depressed to be back I'm quite excited I saw the best thing I've seen yet since returning to London on the train this morning when I saw a sort of businessy man who'd kind of nodded off over his iPad and his iPad was still like on and on the screen he just started writing an email and the only word he typed was productivity And oh, babe, you're if, okay, <laughs> if it wasn't so invasive and awful, I would have taken a picture of that because I felt yeah. like that's that's how how London feels this morning. <laughs> yeah, that's how it sums up. Speaking of emails, yeah, we had a really nice email from uh, Kanika Singh saying that she grew up in the Indian subcontinent, Colombo, Delhi, Mumbai, moved to Texas 
spent a year at LSE and now she's back in San Antonio and she said that she grew up primarily with British media so although she loves listening to US pop culture stuff there's a special place in her heart for British stuff and she's put in brackets yay colonial holdovers <laughs> which made me laugh and she's also recommended that we have a go at Jane the Virgin she says it's very silly but fantastic which is something that I've really wanted to watch for ages actually yeah I've been recommended that a few times from various people we should definitely yeah, give that a go definitely thank you very much yeah thanks Kanika lots of you have already been getting in touch via Twitter and email but if you want to do so all the details on how you can do that are on newstatesman.com forward slash srsly the first thing we were going to talk about this week is joy the David O. Russell film, right? Yes, yeah, starring Jennifer Lawrence and about her name's Joy Mangana, is that right? Yes. Yeah, so about it's a you know, it's a real life story of a woman called Joy who invented well, the first thing she invented was a mop. She went on to invent lots and lots of other things, but the story that this film tells is about how she invents this mop against the odds manages to sell it and makes loads of money. Yeah, but it's not like a straightforward biopic, is it? No. It's quite David O. Russell-y, but it's quite surreal and uh, jumps about in time and stuff. But it, yeah, it's basically about the process of trying to get this mop made and how it became so popular, sort of against the odds. Listen to me. I'll tell you what's going to come of you. You are going to grow up and be a strong, smart young woman. Go to school. Meet a fine young man. Have beautiful children of your own. And you're going to build wonderful things. And that is what is going to happen to you. So when you talk about it, it sounds very standardy, like a uh, woman from ordinary background goes on to become mm. famous person we have heard of. Against all odds, big struggle, blah, blah, blah. Sounds very like standard inspiring biopic doesn't it but I didn't find the viewing experience similar to that no and actually I felt that part of the reason it worked was because it took that kind of standard American dream narrative Mm. and kind of poked at it in places you know so like the fact that it's mostly narrated by her grandmother yeah. Who then dies part way through. Yeah. But sort of carries on talking. Yeah. And at one point actually like appears to her as if she's still there. Yeah. Which I don't think happens in your average sort of rags to riches. No, and story. there's scenes where she's talking to herself as a child and lots of dreamlike sequences. Yeah. Stuff I really, really liked about so her Joy's mother is a kind of I don't know if you go as far to say that she's agoraphobic, but she doesn't like to leave the house it's or a bit indeed, of a recluse, isn't she? Yeah, or indeed her room. And she just sits on her bed the whole time watching soap operas and one of the brilliant things is that it, the passage of time is shown in this soap opera by what the women in it are wearing what their hair looks mm. like so when she's watching it when joy's a child they look different to how they do when she's watching it when she's grown up obviously and obviously joy's this soap opera has just been on in her head her entire life yeah and quite often she has her dreams are framed through it so she will appear in the soap opera mm. and will work out some kind of subconscious issues yeah <laughs> using the characters you know which is just a bit more interesting than a kind of yeah great man slash woman story yeah and lots of people i've noticed didn't love this film it seems to be See, i mean I've... i don't know if i'm bubbly i think i'm being very bubbly here. i've not really read any reviews or anything of it because i only saw it last night basically just some people i've seen kind of tweeting about it anecdotally haven't loved it but i the playfulness of it was what i really liked i really liked that i I didn't feel like it was taking itself too seriously there were points where i did find it overly sentimental i I wasn't yeah i wasn't that into kind of the opening 
because it is so, you know, American dream fairy story is playing around with those tropes. There's a bit at the beginning where she's a kid and she's talking about, you know, her dream and her life. And then mm. her friend says, you know, you need a prince in there. And she's like, oh, I don't need a prince because I make things. I'm, you know, and I found that a bit heavy handed and a bit like this is a feminist story. And there's also a title card at the beginning that says, like, based on the real stories of daring women who, like, built America or something. And it's a bit over the top and it's a mm. bit like, OK, we get it. Starring Jennifer Lawrence, she's going to be a real, like, badass woman we get it but i did like all the kind of moments where it wasn't very linear wasn't like a fixed narrative i thought were really fun and i also thought david o russell plays really well with the idea that because this is a film about tv and how you know tv really entering the consciousness Mm. of people changed how they made decisions and how they viewed the world and what they bought etc he plays around a lot with kind of like TV style shots so it opens in that soap opera stuff you were talking about and I feel like lots of the shots and stuff are quite influenced by the way that the QVC stuff might have been shot like there's lots of rotating shots where you feel like the camera's moving around slowly and we know that at the QVC studio they've got this big rotating stage that has all these different kinds of sections of a home in there's also a really great line with Bradley Cooper, who's obviously in this film, but only appears maybe halfway through. Yeah, he's not in it very much. I think if it wasn't Bradley Cooper, you'd say it was a cameo. Yeah, exactly. Because he plays the sort of head of QVC who kind of gives her a chance to sell her mop on screen. Right, but people are excited to see Bradley Cooper because they like the whole Bradley Cooper, Jennifer Lawrence thing. Yeah. And he has a line when he does finally appear saying, oh, people think stardom is about the face. But actually, it's about the voice and the hands. Mm. And the first shots where you see Bradley Cooper, you don't see his face. You only see his hands and you hear his voice. And I felt there was a moment in the cinema where the people who were really expecting Bradley Cooper got it at that point. And then mm. there's, the next shot is him at a conference table because he's like basically someone who's running QVC, essentially, in a boardroom. And you see his face. And then the rest of the cinema was like, oh, no, it's Bradley Cooper, mm. it's Bradley Cooper. And I thought that was really funny how they had Bradley Cooper talking about the way they were shooting QVC and they were using those same, same on techniques him, yeah. on him before mm. he'd even said those lines and actually that same bit reminded me of did you see what Maisie knew no that film so that was a um a really nice Henry James novel yeah um really nicely shot all from the point of view of the girl Mm. so there was an awful lot of like her being half the height of adults you saw half the adults that same bit where you first see Bradley Cooper Jennifer Lawrence and her ex-husband have come to QVC's headquarters to try and get five minutes in front of an executive to pitch her mop mm-hmm. and her ex-husband is like trying to talk their way in and he's standing up talking to the other men and she's just like sat on a bench yeah. and the camera focuses on her so you see like two-thirds of the men and all of her yeah. and there's just very much this feeling of like she's the one with all the ideas she's the one with the business plan and yet she's just sat there letting them and the men are just talking over her head yeah it's a real boys club moment isn't it you're not part of the gang yeah Yeah. i loved those kinds of things i also came away from it apparently this is completely wrong but i was like yeah i thought the aspect ratio was really weird at that wasn't it apparently it was completely normal something about it felt like watching tv to me so obviously my brain's gone like oh yeah it must have been the aspect ratio and it must have been something else (laughs) not not making any sense but you know it felt very like he'd consciously played around with that idea Mm. also we have to talk about the bit where joy becomes a cowboy at the end because that i absolutely my my heart was full of love during that me too it's brilliant and i know that some people are going to be like that was ridiculous because there's basically this whole shot where she's like putting on sunglasses because she's just basically done this amazing business well she goes down to texas to kind of sort out some guy that's been screwing her over business wise and because it's texas like he's all wearing a stetson and stuff yeah. and she's just wearing like 
normal clothes, isn't she? She's well, doesn't she have a leather jacket She's wearing, on. like, a black leather jacket. Yeah. Otherwise, she's just wearing, like, trousers. Yeah. Just normal. But she kind of, like, marches down the street. Yeah. All sort of, like someone like marching into a saloon yeah and the whole way it's shot and like the sort of texas scenery and everything you just immediately go like ah cowboys yeah but that's um, the thing because it's again it's like at the beginning we open with soap opera and then we go into children's fairy tale and then you have you know american dream star stuff and then you've got like cowboy shootout at the end mm. he's really playing around with all these great classic american yeah. ideas of storytelling and they're all kind of merging together and it's all a bit weird and so I can see why some people would watch it and walk away and be like, what? Mm. <laughs> but I loved it. Well, it, it stood out all the more for me because the trailers they played at the screening I went to, all the film, I guess because we're in Oscar season, right? Mm. And what do the Oscars love more than like films about real famous men mm. played by famous men? Just film after film seemed to be like, there's like the, the Wall Street one and there's the boxing one. Yeah, and yeah. Just all of these like... And the, the newsroom, the newsroom one. one. No, it's not called the newsroom. That's the TV show. But you know, what I mean, the the Boston Globe, the Boston thing. Globe yeah. um, Catholic Church yeah. investigation one. Yeah, just trailer after trailer was for biopics of famous men. Yeah, I mean, I, maybe I'm doing them a disservice. Maybe they are more interesting than that. But we'll have to find out. But they the trailers made them look like very straightforward. Mm. But even women, like the Danish girl, I don't, I don't want to go see the Danish girl. No, I girl. don't either. It looks, I'm sorry, it just looks a bit twee and a bit boring. Yeah. Like every, it, what I liked about this was it was a bit more fun. Yeah. So it set me up to appreciate this film as more interesting and sort of weird than that, and I really like that. Yeah, because I haven't seen a whole load of David O. Russell films. I've obviously seen Silver Linings Playbook and American Hustle. Yeah, those are the only two I've seen as well. Which I thought were good mm. and fine. But I wasn't. I wouldn't be like, yeah, I would watch them again. Particularly, I would, I would watch American Hustle again. I don't know because I found American Hustle like very indulgent and maybe yeah, it is. Yeah, very indulgent and very kind of like circle jerky and like, yeah, look at the men like doing crazy shit. <laughs> and I'm like, I prefer the joy endlessly. Mm. Like, and I thought it was funny how I mean, obviously making these films does not happen overnight, but. I thought it was interesting how we had American Hustle and then obviously American Hustle became a talking point way after its release, after the Sony leak and, mm. and the fact that Bradley Cooper was getting paid so much more than Jennifer Lawrence, etc. The men got way more money than the women in that film. And then we have this film, also by David O. Russell, which is kind of American hustle in that it's about like, it's an American dreamy, how yeah. can we make lots of money style thing. But we've got the woman centred and it's all about the woman and presumably Jennifer Lawrence got paid the most for that film. You'd really <laughs> hope so. <laughs> really She's hope. in every single shot. Yeah, exactly. But you know what I mean? So I thought it was interesting that, that, that we've had that kind of narrative in our culture happening mm. at the same time as these yeah, films that's good developed point. from him. But I mean, I'm presumably there. That's completely coincidental. Nothing to do with each other. I don't know. I, I think it's perhaps uh, there is something to do with it, but it's m maybe more the kind of marketing films as including strong women. It's now a it's thing. It's now a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the the reaction to the Sony leak was part of that culture shift. Yeah. It's like, did you see... Sorry, this is just a, a pet uh, peeve of mine that's just constantly going around in my head, how they're marketing Pride and Prejudice and Zombies as, like, a feminist take on Jane Austen novels. Are they, are they really? <laughs> oh, I haven't seen that. <laughs> makes me want to die. Oh. oh, but I really want to see that film. I know, so For zombie I, reasons, obviously. not for... <laughs> <laughs> obviously, I'm going to go, but, like, please don't... Please don't think I'm that stupid. <laughs> Please. Yeah, but I, I really liked it. Would yeah, see again. Would see again and would recommend listeners, if if you've also been put off by any of the reaction to it, don't be and yeah. give it a go. Yeah. I 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Sherlock special, which was on on New Year's Day, yeah. and has well, Sherlock. I feel like is always divisive, but it felt to me like it was particularly divisive this time. Yeah, that the the instant reaction to it was, some people really really loved it and immediately wanted to spend all their time delving into the minutiae of it, and a lot of others. To be fair, I think a lot of more casual watchers who maybe haven't seen all of Sherlock ever were a bit like, what even was that? I don't like it. I didn't yeah. understand it. Ugh. So do you um, think do you think we should put our Sherlock watching cards on the table? I think we probably off? should, yeah. So I have seen all of Sherlock. I sort of I think around the second series of it sort of briefly flirted with becoming an actual fan of it. Mm-hmm. And then I think the I don't know, the the third series was just a bit too self referential and that kind of waned again for me. So it was a very brief yeah flirtation well, with each it each series is three episodes right I'm not yeah crazy. i think so yeah. yeah so in that case i watched the whole of the first series and i'm sure i've watched some other episodes in between but i really i didn't love the first i mean i know a lot of people really enjoyed the first series i think it's gone downhill from mm. there but i watched the first series and was quite like i found it pretentious basically <laughs> i found it annoying and yeah and a bit up itself yeah so we, we come at it from slightly different places but, but i think both from a a place of disillusion, if not more. Yeah, I and think. I also like love Martin Freeman, and mm. I like watching that kind of program. So I don't, I don't think I'm like 
completely anti it. I just was a bit like, mm, there's my overriding feeling is one of vague irritation. Also, you don't like Benedict Cumberbatch. I really don't yeah. like Benedict Cumberbatch, so that is an issue for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I used to like Benedict Cumberbatch and now find him irritating. So yeah. I've kind of, I feel like I've traveled the journey as far as he's concerned. Yeah. So the, the Sherlock special has been coming forever, it feels like. I think they filmed it yeah, quite I, a while ago and it's just so been, long ago because yeah. I was an intern at the Telegraph in autumn 2014 and during that time wrote an article like look at the pictures of them in Victorian gear yeah so that was literally it's been, well over a year ago it's possibly a bit harsh to say this but I almost feel like the marketing and promotional arm of Sherlock is now better than the program <laughs> yeah and they did such a good job of yeah releasing the Victorian images but none of the modern day ones from mm. it and ha- having people either believing or completely baffled as to why a show that was set in the 21st century was suddenly being set in the 19th century the device with that was irritating Mm. it was this whole the most irritating thing from the last full series of Sherlock was this idea of his his memory palace his mind palace being this kind of vast alternate universe in his head right Darren Brown yeah where he (laughs) he can remember things and work out ideas and do his cite his improbable deductions I'm and already also, like dying I know I know yeah. you are um, I'm trying to take it seriously okay I know. um and and where he like keeps his emotions and stuff basically um oh and the idea of this was that but you don't the twist comes halfway through the yeah, program right so really. you're watching it and you're like okay this is a special and it's just an isolated one-off special and they're doing it period yeah. they're investigating a kind of 19th century gothic horror um, mystery called The Abominable Bride about a bride who apparently kills herself and then reappears and kills her husband and and it's all quite I was quite enjoying that I was yeah. quite yeah and um, full spoiler warning we are we're, we're gonna yeah. just, we're gonna ruin Sorry. it if you haven't seen it so just you yeah. know so stop go watch it Come rejoin back. us you've been watching it for what an hour nearly an hour 45 yeah, minutes something like or something? that it's about halfway and you're like Moriarty appears basically right yes and, and then you're like okay something kind of weird is going on and then there's this whole scene where they're talking about like how he could be back from the dead and blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, it's not the falling, it's the landing, which is a reference, I think, to the fact that Sherlock jumped off a building yeah. in a previous episode. Yeah. And he said that when he came back or it, something. It's not, the, the line is, I think it's not the fall that kills you. Yeah, it's, it's the, the landing. landing. And then as he says that line, it all goes into modern day and you're like, oh my God, what is happening? This is so annoying. <laughs> Our friend Elizabeth Minkle, who was on the podcast before Christmas, she is far more interested in in Sherlock than we are, I think. And she said it, that for her, the the like the line that actually gave her sort of chills was when there's a bit where Mycroft is kind of pompously lecturing Sherlock and John about something, yeah, and who he's, is fat in the in the old well because because he he is in the books. You oh see. right, okay. I thought um, that was just like a weird like laughs thing. No, no. So um, we'll come on to that in a second, but um. So he suddenly, he's talking kind of in period vernacular, and then suddenly he says, it's the virus in the data. Like, he has this kind of incongruous line of contemporary right. language. And Elizabeth said that was the moment for her where she was like, ah, okay, this is not, this is not what I think it is. Yeah. Um, and so we should say as well that this is, it's incredibly both self and canon referential. Mm-hmm. To the point where, so I watched it with my parents, who I think, like you, have seen a couple of other episodes but not necessarily in order like mm. perhaps as they've been repeated after broadcast they've caught them and but they've both read the you know Conan Doyle stories mm. I think nearly all of them if not all of them and they were sat there going what's this who's that guy why why there mm. it was not remotely approachable 
to the casual viewer. Mm. I can't even imagine if this was the first Sherlock thing you'd seen, it would have made no sense at all. Yeah. Because it was so internally referential to other elements of its own programme, but then also, you know, stuff like um, quite a lot of the dialogue in the first five minutes is exactly the same as from the first episode. It's verbatim. Oh. Mr. Holmes, I do wish you'd let me know when you're planning to come home. I hardly knew myself, Mrs. Hudson. Had some trouble with dismembered country squires. They're notoriously difficult to schedule. What's in there? Never mind. Thank you. Did you catch a murderer, Mr. Holmes? Caught the murderer, still looking for the legs. I think we'll call it a draw. But they just... Um, I didn't even notice. Yes. Yeah. It's verbatim, but they, and it's all really they're just wearing they're different clothes. Like his story. Yeah, mm. so it's very, very meta. It's very sort of intertextual, but it's also, and this is where I take this on other people's authority because I haven't seen all of them, but there are, you know, there have been a lot of TV and film adaptations of Sherlock Holmes throughout the 20th century. Apparently, it's incredibly referential, both in dialogue and visually, to those. Right. Um, so the whole thing, it just comes... I, I said this on Twitter after watching it, that the whole thing just smacked of grown-up boys being allowed to play in the dressing-up yeah. box and getting to spin out all of their kind of fanboy fantasies. Exactly, because that's fun, and I love I love that kind yeah. of thing. I love thinking, like, oh, that's a very subtle, nice reference to that. I love that kind of thing in culture. But there's a point where it's like, okay, you're alienating people by only only allowing people who are part of that world to enjoy this because it's completely incomprehensible. Yeah. And it's like, there's the, who's, who's the guy who did The Wire? I can't remember his name. There's a famous interview with him where someone, I think it's Mark Commode, is like, what about the casual viewer? They're lost. And he's like, fuck the casual viewer. Yeah. Fuck the casual viewer. Which I get, but like, not with Sherlock. Come well, on. The, I, and I, I was kind of ashamed of this because it was a slightly right-wing opinion. But I was like, the BBC spent money on this. Like, this was mm. our money mm. that you spent on this. But those those people who paid for this can't enjoy it. Right, maybe. And I, I don't know, I, that I annoyed get, me. And I'm, I'm someone who's very pro, like, making things for the fans. Mm. But it didn't quite feel like that either, did it? No, it felt like torturing the fans. Mm. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe people will write and correct me on that. But it did feel a bit like, because because you know, then I've I've kind of I I dived briefly into Tumblr to see how that fandom was was enjoying <laughs> it, and I saw a lot of things that people like theories that people were positing and stuff yeah. about how actually Mary is Moriarty, and you can see. And I was quite persuaded by the post I read about that. that lots of the visual references and lots of. I thought she was already evil. Well, I think she. I can't remember if she is or not. This is the thing. I, I think thought that, that he was like, "Wait, I was going to marry you, and actually, you're not." Oh no, they they sort that out again. She's from MI5. That's what yeah. That was. But yeah. he kind of basically, it's very sweet. He kind of says like, "Your past is your business. Your future is my privilege," kind of thing. And he like makes his peace with the fact that she has this whole other life. The point. The point is that I think we're not done with this. I think if they ever make any more Sherlock, they're gonna they're gonna deconstruct their own deconstruction, mm. and there's gonna be more inside it. Yeah. And I mean. Inception is already a, a complicated film. It didn't need to be remade yeah. in this form. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think there are two things that we should probably touch upon. A, gayness, B, women. Yep. So there's loads of, like, obviously, what a significant group of Sherlock fans are interested in is whether Sherlock and Watson are actually, like, a gay couple yeah, or the, love each other the, and the, are frustrated by it. And the John Sherlock ship is massive. Yeah, it's, it's huge. And I'm kind of into it. Yeah. I think it's cool. Though I felt very much watching this that the real, if there is a slash couple in it, it's definitely Sherlock Moriarty and not Sherlock Watson. Watson's the kind of guy you want to, like, have a nice cup of tea with on the sofa, but I really feel like Sherlock is, you know, he's going to bone Moriarty if he's going to yeah. bone anyone. <laughs> 
I always thought that that would be a really cool thing to do with a Sherlock adaptation. It's probably way overdue considering they like changed Watson's gender in order for there to be some flirting in the Sky series yeah. elementary. But if it happens like this, it's going to be a bit annoying. Like there's there's also a whole um and we haven't got time to go into it now, but there's also this whole idea of kind of queer baiting and the idea that you kind of you put enough kind of breadcrumbs of that in right. in order to interest that that's exactly what this feels that, like. That kind of group of people. But you don't actually bother to, you know, Elizabeth, I think, is actually going to write for us about this. That sounds really interesting, because that's exactly what it feels like. It feels a bit like they're toying with with the viewer and they're being like, oh, you want this to happen? Like, here's some like weird shots of someone with a pistol in their mouth and blah, blah, blah. But we won't actually bother to investigate those kinds of feelings properly or with respect. It's just like a bit of titillation Mm. and like... That's kind of annoying yeah. because you're like, wait, if this is if this could be a proper thing, can we can we do it for real rather than just like kind of mocking it, kind of fiddling it feels, with it? It feels yeah. like it's being mocked mm. to me in a weird way. The idea of it, I know. So yeah, that that's definitely. I felt more like that in the special than I have in any of the previous ones. Yeah, because I think they. I, it just feels more of, and this is what I mean about them torturing fans. It just that was part of it that it felt both more overt like there was far more of them like talking about their feelings and yeah. like, sitting close together in yeah. dark greenhouses and stuff yeah you must have desires yeah you? you know that kind of stuff which is like do it properly please yeah and then yeah the women thing as well oh my god i made notes in my phone when i was watching it because i was so, so angry <laughs> so there was one one thing that i liked about the the women subplot yeah. and this someone said this to me in an email as well that they you at least they use period specific language for the suffragettes Oh, okay. So calling them the monstrous regiment. That's a thing. That was a thing. That was a 19th century thing. Yeah. That was, you know, those, you know, those awful postcards saying like, oh, she's a suffragette, she won't cook your dinner. Yeah, and with that baby screaming. It was the the anti-suffragette language of Mm -hmm. the thing. So that, like, top marks for that, well done. Yeah. But. Well, there were lots of little things that annoyed me. And the first one was how... Again, this this is kind of similar to the queer baiting, I think. Maybe this is like lady baiting, I don't know what to call it. But there's a line right at the beginning with, I can't remember the landlady's name. Mrs. Hudson. Mrs. Hudson, where she is annoyed because she doesn't get get lines in. Yeah, um, she's just a plot device. Yeah, she gets annoyed because in Watson's magazine stories, she doesn't get lines. And she says, I'm, ju- I'm not just a plot device. Which really wound me up because those were all her lines. Her lines throughout the whole thing were just about that. Mm. So it's a way of like getting her to like say something as though the issue's being dealt with when it's not being dealt with Without at all. She still is just a, lines. you know yeah. what I mean? She still is just like a background yeah. figure. She's still nobody. And that was the same with all the women in this. And I'm like, you can't just shoehorn like vaguely feminist lines into your thing as a cheat to get mm. out of having to deal with your female characters properly. Wound me up so much. And then that happens like the whole way through with like all the all the you know, the abominable bride stuff. Like, ostensibly this is a story about women, basically, mm. right? Because Or a woman at least. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then it turns out that there isn't just one bride. There's loads of brides. And he's like, the whole room is, this whole room is full of brides. And they're obviously, they're brides. Therefore, they're defined by their relationship to men. They're not even taken seriously as women who want the vote. They're just scorned women, brides, you know, like women who were treated badly by men. And there's this line where Sherlock is like, stood amongst all the suffragettes at the end who were all wearing KKK hoods. I don't know why they're wearing pointy hats. <laughs> yeah, like, the language may have been expertly, you know, period, but the, the costume, costume, not so much. Yeah, and, and Sherlock is walking around explaining to them, you know, why they wanted, you know, what their whole mission was and blah, blah, blah. One of my friends from school tweeted, like, oh, there's you could not define Moffat's story writing more than a man walking around a room full of women explaining to them what their feminist mission actually was. Yep. <laughs> but there's a line where he says, ignored, 
patronized, dismissed. And I was like, are you talking about the women in this or your female audience? Because you literally could be talking about either. Yeah, and also I someone, so I tweeted about this and someone said, well, you know, fair enough, it was patronizing, but he is the title character of the show and he is the central detective. So it's not that unusual that he should therefore do the big reveal. But that's not right at all. Because in every Poirot, every like golden age detective thing, the murderer, the murderer gets to do... The monologuing. They get to do their big reveal. They get to, like, explain, well, I always hated her. Yeah, yeah, they say, like, it was because you hated her, wasn't it? And they're like, well, you would too if you had been there. And they, like, go on their run. Actually, excellently parodied in a Mitchell and Webb sketch I'm going to try and find on YouTube for the show notes. Yeah, exactly, where a kind of, I think he's called Monsieur Voirot, (laughs) (laughs) played by David Mitchell, (laughs) basically condemn someone in a drawing room based on the fact that they're doing an evil voice yeah. and then they do the whole monologue in the evil voice that's but that's exactly it so no it, it should have been the ringleader of the abominable brides yeah. should have explained what's happening but of course not because she's a woman yeah and then in fact when they did get a woman to come up and like do the big reveal they, she takes her veil off and it's moriarty another man <laughs> like it's just you know it's annoying it annoyed me as soon as we got to the 45 minute mark and they were like, actually, this is all in Sherlock's head. I was like, no, I'm sorry. I, mm. I, I know that this is not quite the same as like, it was all a dream. But it's... It, after, you've been, after you've invested in something for an hour, you don't want to be told it was all fake. Yeah. Like, you just don't. <laughs> yeah. And one of the best comments I saw about this was someone saying that actually, if you were to kind of do a, an honest subtitles of this, it would just be, I'm clever. I'm clever. Clever, yeah, clever, clever. Look yeah. at me. Clever, clever, clever. Absolutely. So, and that's that's not... I, I don't know. I don't find that enjoyable to watch. It's and like, also... And the story didn't progress at all. Mm-hmm. So it was a real it all filler. Happen, it all happened in about... If if you take the 21st century storyline to be the actual timeline of the show, it all happened in about four to five minutes. Yeah, exactly. Someone tweeted like... Sorry, I know we keep saying that, which is annoying. But someone did tweet, oh, so just a plot summary of what happened in Sherlock. A man got out of a plane and into a car. And you're like, <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's yeah. all that happened. It wasn't enough of a like, here, this is what you want, fans, for it to be justifiable. Mm. It was wait, they were being kind of, I felt toyed with and mocked, as you did, I think. So yeah. it's not, rah, yeah. <laughs> basically. So, in summary, rah. So as you could tell, it made us quite cross. If you have strong feelings about it, though, do, do tell us, because I am interested to hear the kind of, the positive, if you did love it, I want to hear, I want to hear why. So, Caroline, you've been watching First Dates. I have, and it's been such an enjoyable experience. Has it? I, I it. really want to know which ones you watch, because I, oh, I God. stopped watching I, it towards the end. I don't know. I've just been watching random ones on 4OD. Yeah. Um, and then I also went and watched this brilliant YouTube playlist called Best of First Dates. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. That has lots of clips from previous like ones that aren't on 4OD anymore, but like oh, sort of clip montages. You know, everyone loves like a show with a format, a, show yeah. with a set format. Yeah. I'm no exception. When it's a format I get on with, I find it so relaxing just to have Absolutely. different people slotted into the same style so that I know I know when there's going to be feelings, I know when there's going to be laughs. Yeah. It's just, you know. It's... I love the music of First Dates as well. Though. Yeah. You're like, oh yes, I'm ready. And like, I I love the whole thing. What's the maitre d's name? Uh, Fred. Yeah, I love him. He's he's great. I love the kind of supporting cast that are there every every time. Yeah, the Um, waitresses and everything. The thing is with Fred though is that I'm like, 
I'm 80% sure I like him. And then like 20% of me is like, mm, could be a serial killer. <laughs> yes, actually, I know what you mean. Yeah, he's, uh, yeah, sometimes the little comments he makes when people are like, he sees them coming through the, the glass door, you're like, oh, okay. It's a bit weird, Fred. It's a bit weird, Fred. Yeah, he's maybe. Like, okay. <laughs> okay, Fred. And every, at the end of every episode, he's like, everybody is looking for love. And you're like, <laughs> sure. All right, Fred. <laughs> Have your moment. But yeah, I, I just really, really liked it. I found it really relaxing. It's, it's already become kind of a core TV show for me. Excellent. I'm now really looking forward to actually... I mean, is there still a series on? Is it still going? I, I can't... I don't, I'm not sure, because I was watching it quite religiously, mm. and then my record fell off somehow, ah. so I, I haven't seen it uh, since just before Christmas, but I don't know if it was on. There was there was a special, because apparently some people got engaged. Ah. In fact, I know exactly which couple this was. So, just for anyone who hasn't seen First Dates, it's a show set in a restaurant. The restaurant is actually around the corner from where we work, which is quite fun. It's very exciting. Yes, there's loads of shots of, like, the wasabi we go to for lunch sometimes. Um, so they shut down the restaurant to the public in order to film this program where they invite lots of people to come on and have a blind date. So they match them broadly seems to be like based on age and like mm. if they've got like a strong mutual interest or if you know, those kinds of things. And then you just watch maybe five couples on their first dates over the course of the episode and then occasionally if someone's a real character and their first date went badly, they can come back and have another first date with somebody different. Um and then there was this couple in this series where there was this guy and he kept saying, so they do all these interviews to camera with each of them beforehand. And he kept being like, yeah, I was in a relationship for like nine years and then uh, we got engaged, but then the engagement got broken off. And he was like, and now I've just got this like really nice house and I really need someone to come and live in my house. But he kept using the word property to describe it. And I was like, is there a less romantic thing to say than like, I want someone to come and share my property. <laughs> like It's so weird. And like Austin without the like romance. And anyway, so he was like, obviously someone who was desperate to settle to down be married yeah, yeah he really wanted it and he went on this date with this girl and like they got on well and then it seems like the next thing that's happening is they're getting engaged on a special called the proposal oh i mean it's kind of cute yeah. but i was kind of like babe okay i mean good for you you've got what you wanted but what i like about it is that there are some like re- sometimes you watch it and you're like oh my god they get on so well yes so I well that. i don't know did you see um the two girls there was this one episode where these these two girls were like so into each other and it was so obvious from the moment they sat down and they were like giggling constantly and was it the one where one of them was a weightlifter yeah I think yes so. yes i, think I maybe. know what you mean and they like there's a bit where they're outside smoking and mm. she goes in for a kiss and they like bump heads and then they just like burst into hysterical laughter and they like use that clip on all the like intros each time but they it was just so brilliant to watch because they were so and it just like makes me like I'm so happy for you. <laughs> yeah, because that's, I think, one of the reasons why I like it. Whereas I'm not massively into most of those kind of scripted reality shows like Made in Chelsea or whatever. Yeah. Um, is because there's very little cringe in first dates. Well, when there is cringe, though, I feel like you cringe big. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. But generally, it's quite sort of charming. Yeah. And as I say, relaxing. It's I don't have that kind of constant sense of uneasiness that some things like this give me. Yeah. I mm. think that there are some where you're like, when you know straight away that they're not going to fancy each other and you or there's a lot there's a lot of ones where it's a guy who's kind of nerdy and smart and maybe he's been to oxford or cambridge and he's talking a lot to camera about how difficult he finds it going on dates and how he can't do it and then the girl is invariably very very nice but doesn't mm-hmm. actually fancy him yeah and, always, and she's really sweet yeah, that is and i hate watching those where he's like 
can't get the words out like when mm. they're sat at the table and you're like oh i feel for you so much but i also just like can't i need to look away like it's too much yeah that's true actually you're the ones where but i suppose because it seems like the mission of the show is not to, to humiliate people, people yeah, um which is quite nice and i would like more reality tv like this yeah um, no it, there's never i mean i'm sure they do edit it to like look more awkward mm. in certain situations and i'm sure they edit it to make it look like they're like just eye fucking the entire mm. time like you know those ones where they're like literally looking each up each other up and down the entire time yeah. you're like can you really be doing this like <laughs> for an hour <laughs> um but i suppose it actually has something in common with the great british bake-off in the sense that they they seem to pick contestants in the hope that they will succeed mm. not not in the hope them fail not the hope that they'll have a meltdown so. yeah yeah and i think it is it does tend to be like just nice normal yeah. people it always seems very like okay these are just like people you would meet on the street and mm. that's kind of what's so nice about it yeah. it's such a such a basic setup but it works yeah so yeah massively pro first dates can't recommend it enough actually someone on twitter did already say that thanks to your recommendation in the whenever it was the mm. last episode they'd already watched it and they were very grateful yeah. as well so you know it's so funny because it's something i feel like uh, my specific group of friends everybody watches so it's the kind of thing where you i feel like you can't be like oh you should watch first dates because mm. i'll be like duh <laughs> but you know, especially, I don't know if our American listeners are going to be able to watch it. I don't know well, how. I recommend this YouTube playlist, yeah, even if you can't get on true. for on 4OD. And I think there's quite a lot of clips, because it's quite a kind of clippable show. There's yeah, quite definitely. a lot of kind of supercuts on YouTube. Each plot line, yeah. if, if we're going to call it that, probably takes about five minutes yeah. overall, doesn't it? So Excellent show. So we are now back into the rhythm of weekly podcasts. You'll be pleased to hear. So for next week, I'm going to recommend Anna, a film that is very close to my heart, Quartet. Um, instantly I'm like Caroline isn't this an old person's film <laughs> of course it is I love old people's films if they are in fact old people's films they are not I'm obviously teasing yeah so it's a film it's based on a play actually which was on quite a number of years ago and I didn't get to see although I wish I had and it's about a sort of retirement home for musicians for professional musicians so everyone who lives in this this home was like a famous opera singer or part of a like internationally famous string quartet or something. It stars Maggie Smith and Tom Courtney. Billy Connolly is also in it. Oh, great. Um, and the quartet of the title is the opera Rigoletto has a really famous, just before the end, a really famous quartet. One of the like most famous examples in opera of all time of like four four principals all singing at the same time really loudly and somehow it sounds beautiful rather than terrible mm. and so four of the people in the home recorded a really famous version of this this opera and this particular bit and they haven't seen each other for x number of years and now they all meet again in this retirement oh that's cute okay i'm excited and instantly i'm thinking of maggie smith's music career in lady in the van actually the, it definitely has some parallels with that because okay. she has a, her character has a lot of regrets and a lot of kind of sort of shame about you know she unlike a lot some of the people in the home still just find an enormous amount of joy in their music and mm. they give music lessons and they give talks to young people and they're still even though they don't perform anymore they're still like part of music whereas she's gone completely the other way where she's like if i can't be at the top of my game anymore i don't want anything to do with oh, it oh bless her okay so i'm excited Thanks for listening to Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, iTunes and Tumblr. All the links are at newstatesman.com slash S-R-S-L-Y. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 